turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew. We have to know what is it that people say about Jesus in the world in which we live. How do people see Jesus? How do they define Jesus in general? So that we have a perspective of worldly cultural views of Jesus today. But then the second question needs to also be answered, and it becomes very personal. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? Every single one of us has to answer these questions. You cannot remain neutral on this. In today's message, Pastor Gary will remind you that it's not only important to know what we as Christians should know and believe about Christ, but it's also important to understand how others might view Christ. When we have an accurate and biblical view on God and His character, that's when we can best present Him to the world. If we're spreading misinformation about Jesus, we could lead others astray. When we understand what people may think about Christ, we can combat those things with biblical truths. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Matthew, chapter 16, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Well, we left off here uh, in Matthew 16 at verse 13. This is a very, very important part of Scripture, uh, not to diminish the rest of the Bible, but this is one of these passages where um, there's been great dispute, there's been great debate, and uh, this is pivotal in terms of understanding who Jesus truly is. He is going to take his disciples, his 12 apostles, uh, about 30 miles to the north Uh, from the region of Capernaum, which is around the Sea of Galilee, to Caesarea Philippi. Now, uh, this is out of the ordinary. Uh, This is the only time in the Bible, this particular story that is recorded here in Matthew, also in Mark, and also in Luke, where uh, Jesus takes his disciples uh, to this particular city, to this particular town, And um, there are few examples in the Bible uh, where Jesus will go outside of the general region where he mostly ministered. He mostly ministers around the Sea of Galilee, uh, three principal towns between Bethsaida, Chorazin, and Capernaum. Uh, That's where Jesus' ministry mostly occurred. He would go up to Jerusalem, which is really south, but it's higher elevation. It's a holier location. He would go up to Jerusalem at different times according to the feast schedule. But by and large, it was the region of the Galilee, and it was Jerusalem. And that's where most of his teaching occurred. You see examples where he would go to Tyre and Sidon on one occasion, which is in what is modern Lebanon, 
and you have this occasion where he's going to take his apostles up here to this extreme northern region of uh, Israel today called uh, Caesarea Philippi. And so uh, he's going to cross over the Golan Heights, and he's going to take his uh, disciples to this particular location. Now, this is intentional, because this location is going to be the backdrop to this conversation that he has with his disciples. Now, let me just read verses 13 to 20 and then, and then I'll back up and then we'll talk about this. And we're going to just take our time through this tonight. This, I don't know if this may be the only part we get through this evening. But it, it's an important part to understand. So here's verse 13. It says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, And still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. So uh, Jesus takes his disciples to this place called uh, Caesarea Philippi here in Matthew chapter 16, and uh, this is one of the locations, one of the stops along the way of our tour to Israel. So about seven weeks ago, uh, I had about 80 of you uh, from our church uh, right here at this location. It's a beautiful spot. It's very tranquil now. Uh, it is basically only a tourist stop along uh, the tour of Israel because of this story here. That's the only reason why anybody would go there today. There, there are some archaeological uh, ruins of the ancient uh, city of Caesarea Philippi, but otherwise it's a very tranquil location. This is the place where one of the major headwaters of, of the Jordan River uh, emerges underneath the base of Mount Hermon. That's what's where Caesarea Philippi is located, situated just basically uh, on the base of, at the base of Mount Hermon. Now, Mount Hermon is the tallest mountain in Israel. It's over 9,000 uh, feet above uh, sea level. And this location is at the base of Mount Hermon. And you see there the bedrock of the, the foundation of Mount Hermon. And, and so here comes the headwaters of the Jordan River, very tranquil location. During the Roman Empire, uh, Romans loved to be stationed at Caesarea Philippi because it was basically uh, treated as somewhat of a resort in the day. And it had all of these wandering paths of the Jordan River and and a very peaceful place uh, to go and wonderful place to be stationed. Now, it was first, this location, this city was first called Panias by the Greeks who settled it, who occupied it, and who built a temple uh, to their god Pan. That's why the name of the town was originally Panias. Uh, Pan was kind of this goat boy, if you remember from your Greek mythology. He was like half boy, half goat uh, kind of a strange-looking creature with horns and uh, hooves and, uh, and played the flute. He was considered the god of, of the forest and the, the god of, 
fertility was also the god related to fear. In fact, our English word panic comes from his name, Pan. And there in the, the, the cave of the, the rocks here that formed the foundation for Mount Hermon was built a, um, a grotto to Pan, a temple to Pan. And this particular cave is, is dry now, but this is where the water would bubble up uh, for the Jordan River. Now, now it bubbles up in another location because there's since been a few earthquakes, and so this, this spot is now normally dry, the picture to the left. But this was the location where the temple was built, and the Greeks would sacrifice to their god Pan, and they would throw sacrifices, and sometimes it included human sacrifices, into the, the water there of the cave that was dedicated to Pan, and this entrance was called by the Greeks uh, the gates of hell. It was called that, referred to as this, uh, the bubbling stream of the Jordan River coming up from below and referred to as the gates of hell. So there's a lot of, there's some symbolism here in the language that Jesus is going to use. The backdrop is intentional. He's taking them to a very pagan city. Uh, The other picture there to the right is picture of these sacred niches that were cut out of the bedrock and within those niches were placed idols to Pan and, uh, and to other Greek and later Roman gods. And we know this because coins have been discovered showing these niches with these idols to these Greek and Roman gods. Now, after the Greeks were uh, conquered by the Romans, then this became a Roman uh, city. And it was renamed from Panias to Caesarea Philippi by Herod Philip II, who was the son of Herod the Great. Remember Herod the Great, the guy that had all the baby boys uh, in the vicinity of Bethlehem murdered, trying to murder the baby Jesus. So this is one of his sons, Herod Philip II. And in 2 BC, he makes this the capital of that particular area of the Roman Empire, and he names it Caesarea Philippi after his good friend Caesar Augustus and himself. You know, you got to throw your own name in there. If you're gonna if you're gonna make a whole town, you know, don't give your own name away. You just at least hyphenate it. And so you're you're naming it after uh, Caesar Augustus and yourself. So it's Caesarea Philippi, and that's the name of the location at the time of Jesus, because obviously Jesus is ministering during the period of the Roman Empire. So uh, this is that location. Now today it is called Banyas. It has been reverted back to the ancient pagan name. But instead of it being Panyas with a P, it is called Banyas because that is Arabic for Panyas. But there is no P in the Arabic uh, language, and so they, don't, they can't pronounce P's. And so in Arabic, Panyas is pronounced Banyas. And again, it's very tranquil, very peaceful, a wonderful spot to go. We, we have this Bible study of Matthew 16 right here at this location you know, but again, this is, this is a beautiful location today, but I want you to picture it as the Vegas of Jesus' day, all right? Not, not as populated, but uh, kind of the sin city of Jesus' day. This was a, because when Herod Philip II established this as a, as a headquarters, as kind of the capital for this particular region of the Roman Empire, he not only expanded it in terms of its buildings, but he expanded it in terms of its paganism. This place was the, the seat of idolatry and paganism in first century Roman Empire. 
I mean, among other locations, too, that you could put on the map. But this, in the land of Israel, was a, a, a stronghold for idolatry and paganism of, of somewhat of a, of a small, bustling uh, metropolis. That is this place. So I want you to, you know, kind of, though the picture is beautiful, I want you to picture it bustling with paganism, uh, temple to Pan, uh, sacrifices unto Pan, idolatry, uh, the worship of various gods. This is the Greek slash Roman time period. And so, you know, very idolatrous, very pagan, multiple gods. So now you get the idea here why Jesus seeks this location for this particular conversation he's going to have uh, with his disciples. Because he, he wants this to be the representation of what would have been that day, the pagan culture. And against that pagan culture, Jesus is going to ask them two very important questions, and they're right here in our text. He's going to ask them these two questions. Who do people say that I am? That's verse 13. And who do you say that I am? He's going to make it very personal. And these are two questions that all of us must answer ourselves. We have to know what is it that people say about Jesus in the world in which we live. How do people see Jesus? How do they define Jesus in general? So that we have a perspective of worldly cultural views of Jesus today. But then the second question needs to also be answered, and it becomes very personal. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? Every single one of us has to answer these questions. You cannot remain neutral on this. You have an answer about who Jesus is. Hopefully it's the right answer, but everybody has an answer. Because to have no answer is an answer. To say, well, I don't really know who he is. Well, well, then you're not ascribing unto him who he really is. And so you really do have an answer by default. And so these two questions are being posed to his disciples. And the very same questions are being posed to us in the, in the context of this study. So uh, let's take a look at this. Here's the first question. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? That's verse 13. Now that is a messianic phrase. Daniel will use it 600 years before Christ. He will use it in Daniel chapter 7 and Daniel will use it several times. It is a messianic phrase. And so his disciples, his apostles would have understood that to be a messianic phrase, a messianic Reference. Who do people say the Son of Man is? And then when you take the next question with it, who do you say that I am? Notice that Jesus is connecting the I am with the Son of Man. So he is saying about himself, he is Messiah. He's wanting to know what does the culture think about who he is? What's the talk on the street about who he is? But then who do you say that I am? But he's linking the two questions that he is the I am and he is the son of man. He is Messiah. He is God in flesh. And so he's asking them first, who do people say the Son of Man is? That phrase, Son of Man, will be used by Matthew more than the other gospel writers. Thirty times Matthew will use that phrase to describe Jesus. He is the Son of Man. It's a messianic title that they would have been familiar with, and so we should understand it in the same context. Now, it's not like Jesus is ignorant here, okay? Jesus is never ignorant. He's, he's not asking a question because he needs to learn something. He's asking a question to help them learn something. So the first question is, you know, what's the talk on the street? 
Who do people say that I am? They're going to give a few different answers here. They're going to give three specific answers, and they're going to give a generic one. And their answer is, in verse 14, some say, here's the first one, John the Baptist. Others say, here's the second one, Elijah. Still others, here's the third one, Jeremiah. And then, in general, some prophet of old. Now, John the Baptist has been beheaded by now. By the time we read this story, John the Baptist is dead. Some people are thinking that Jesus is John the Baptist come back to life. Elijah is also a prophet of old, so is Jeremiah. They've long been dead. And so there is speculation, there's talk on the street that maybe Elijah's come back or Jeremiah's come back or John the Baptist has come back. Now, what I find intriguing about the very three answers that the disciples give is that it's very similar to the way that people perceive Jesus today, even in the church. So let's say that Christians in various churches today have a perception of who Jesus is. We're not talking necessarily about the person on the street who doesn't really know much about Jesus. Let's talk about people even in the church who will often identify Jesus as kind of the John the Baptist Jesus or the Elijah Jesus or the Jeremiah Jesus. What do I mean by that? What's your perception of John the Baptist? When you read through the Gospels and you, and you read about John the Baptist, you know, what are some words that come to mind to describe his kind of character and his nature? Well, for me, when I read through it, I see John the Baptist as, you know, tough. I see him as confrontational. He, you know, he's the one giving it to Herod, saying, you know, you are sleeping with your brother Philip's wife. This is adultery. You're living in sin. So he's very bold. He's courageous. He's in your face. He's confrontational. He calls sin for what it is. That's John the Baptist. And there are a lot of people who like the John the Baptist Jesus. Do you know what I mean? They like to have the confrontational hellfire damnation Jesus. Some people are not satisfied if they've been to church unless they've been beat up a little bit. Do you know people like this? There's some Christians who actually want to be hurt when they go to church. It's like, beat me up, pastor. I just need to feel it from God. You know, it's, it's like the first church of the bleeding sheep. And I mean bleeding, you know, like blood bleeding, okay? Not bleating sheep. It's like, unless you've been to church and you got beat up good from the pulpit, I didn't really get Jesus today. Because they want the John the Baptist Jesus, the tough, in-your-face Jesus. And there's a, there's a time and a place for that. But then there are other people who want the Elijah Jesus. Now, have you known anything about Elijah in the Old Testament? He's the prophet of power. Elijah's the one raining down fire. I mean, he's the, you know, chariots of fire, and he's all about fire. You know, he's on Mount Carmel, and he's, you know, the whole battle with the false prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth, and then God rains down fire and consumes the altar. Elijah is the prophet of power. And there's a lot of people who want Jesus, the Elijah Jesus. We want the Jesus of power. We want signs and wonders, and we want power. And there's a place and a time for that, too. Then there are people who want the Jeremiah Jesus. The Jeremiah Jesus, well, Jeremiah was a prophet of old, and he was known as the weeping prophet. Jeremiah was, he was bold, but he was also crying a lot. I mean, he was broken a lot. He was just really tender-hearted and very emotional about things, and people want that kind of Jesus. Give me the tender Jesus. Give me the Jesus who weeps and loves me and doesn't judge me. 
That's the kind. And so it's interesting because even when these guys are saying, well, some think you're like John the Baptist, some think you're Elijah, some think you're Jeremiah. Even today, there are people who like the hard-hitting John the Baptist. The other people want the power of Jesus, uh, uh, that kind of Jesus, the Elijah Jesus. And then there are others who want, I want the weeping Jesus, the tender Jesus, the emotional Jesus. So it's, it's kind of curious how not much has changed here. And, and in, in some ways, Jesus is a little bit of all those things, right? I mean, he confronted sin when sin needed to be confronted. And he was all-powerful in different ways, but he demonstrated miraculous power. And he was certainly tender-hearted, and he wept over the city of Jerusalem as he approached it. So, you know, we see that aspect, those aspects of Jesus, but he's not just John the Baptist. He's not just like Elijah. He's not just like Jeremiah. He's far superior than any prophet of old. But as Jesus is asking his disciples this, he's wanting to know, okay, you know, you you keep your ear to the ground. So what are people saying about me? What is the culture? How do they view me? Now, as you and I think about how our own culture views Jesus today, so let's move outside the church. Let's kind of take it outside of the John the Baptist, Elijah, and Jeremiah circle. And let's just think about even today how people in general who, who don't know Jesus, who might think they do, who how they identify him how they characterize him. Who do they say that he is today? There is just a sea of opinions about who Jesus is. And we have to be aware of this because if we're going to understand who he really is, especially within this story, we have to also know what other people are saying about who Jesus is in our world so that we can confidently and uh, calmly and lovingly Provide the truth. So I'm just going to kind of jot down through a few as you take a look today at uh, various ideas of who Jesus is. For example, here's the Jesus that the Muslims believe. Muslims believe that Jesus is a prophet inferior to Muhammad and that he was uh, neither crucified nor did he rise from the dead. That's straight out of the Quran from Surah 4, verses 157 to 159. That's what they believe. Muslims believe that Jesus is not the Son of God. They do not believe that he is God in flesh. They do not believe that he was crucified. They do not believe that he rose from the dead. They believe that he is a prophet, a powerful prophet, but inferior to the prophet Muhammad. Now, the Quran was written about 600 years after Christ. Who are you going to believe? An account that was written 600 years after Christ, or an account that was written by eyewitnesses like Matthew, who was there to hear this conversation. Okay, so we have to understand this is the view. Muslims have this view of Jesus that he's a prophet, but he's a prophet inferior to Muhammad, that he was not crucified, and neither did he rise from the dead. Now, there is I got a C in logic in college, but uh, so it shows you what I know. But there is a law of logic called the law of non-contradiction, meaning that two opposing views cannot both be right. They might both be wrong, but they cannot both be right. So if, for example, using this example, if Muslims believe he's a prophet inferior to Muhammad... And Jesus himself is going to identify himself as Messiah, as the Son of God. Both those views cannot be right. One is true or one is false, or they are both false, but they cannot both be true. 
Now, of course, I'm arguing from the standpoint of Scripture, so I'm believing that what Jesus said is true in the course of all these different examples. Thanks for joining Pastor Gary today for this study in the Gospel of Matthew on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to hear this teaching again or explore additional messages, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc and click on Teachings. You can download our mobile app, too, while you're there. It's under On The Go. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we want to invite you to join us for church at Cornerstone Chapel. We're meeting each Sunday in person at 8.30 and 11.45, as well as on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. CornerstoneConnection.cc is the place to get all the information you need, along with directions to our campus. You can also see what's going on during the week and what Cornerstone Chapel offers in the way of small groups, youth ministry, and more. And you can meet the staff. If you're not able to join us in person right now, that's okay. We're live streaming each Sunday and Wednesday service at cornerstoneconnection.cc. If you have any questions for us, or if you'd like to share a prayer request, please connect with us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining us to study Matthew, and we hope you'll tune in again to learn more about Jesus. That's right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know